Speaking of youth, did you guys have a good time last week? Yes. Have any of you got anything you want to share? Like, I double dare you. No pressure. As you can see, we're well prepared. Um, one of the things. Stand, stand up, Lucy. Come here. Hey, everybody. This is Lucy. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Lucy. Um, one of the things that um, I was really blessed by this week was seeing Bethany step into her spiritual gift. Um, just on the last day, we had this moment in like our little small group where our leader asked us to like declare things over each other. Um, and Bethany was just so courageous and unafraid in what she said, and it was all spot on. Um, and I was really encouraged by that, just sort of seeing where you were at the beginning of the week and then seeing how God worked in you and then worked through you. That was really awesome. Yeah. How many of you experienced God in some kind of new way and were really, like, totally rocked by that? Yes? They're all nodding. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hand. There we go. Look at that. Look at that. That's four out of four. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. And there were some of the others that were attached to us that were there too and got rocked um, all week too. There's, there's a couple of people in the room that are in a bit of a different state than last time they were in the room. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Mitchell and Genevieve Leanman, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they're back and they're married. Welcome back, guys. It was such a hoot of a day. It was just an amazing celebration. And then you went to New Zealand, of all places. Just so horrible. <laughs> you look so unhappy. So <laughs> Great to see you guys. So we have been on this journey of taking ground, and in particular over the last couple of months, we've been looking at this whole thing of particularly the, pack, the practice of corporate presence. How do we take ground in spirit together? Um, and we've been practicing a whole lot in here together. And I don't know about you, but that's been actually quite a lot of fun. And, and there's one kind of piece that we feel like is really important to... Well, you never really round this subject out because this is a journey that we will keep going as long as we're actually drawing breath. Um, this journey of learning to host the presence of God together well is a journey we will always be on. Um, but the part that is really important in this is learning to receive from God in an experiential way, learning to actually experience him. And would you guys say that like it's, it's a massive difference? Like you come back from a week where you, it's, just, it's not just head stuff, you've actually experienced his presence and it, it's, it changes your life, right? Yeah. That, that's the sort of thing that we're talking about. So I want to talk... I've titled this Confessions of a Serial Head Tripper. <laughs> that's talking about me, right? Um, that, that's who I was. It's, it's, I've lost that a little. But um, the importance of learning to receive from God, and I kind of have like two subtitles because I want to talk about the house of wine and, and the presence of wine and this symbol of wine in Scripture. And um, as I was looking into this some more this morning, I was getting really quite affected by the wine of the Spirit. And in talking about it, let's see what happens. But the religious spirit wants to keep you operating in one direction with God. And I'm not talking about a band. 
<laughs> one direction, and that is from me out. Okay? The religious spirit wants to keep us operating in one direction, from me out. As in, from me toward God, I need to pray to God. I need to read my Bible you know, as a service to God. I need to serve in church because that's a service to God. It, it's from me out. The religious spirit wants to keep you to just that. Because if he can keep you to just that, there'll be a ceiling or a restriction around you that will stop you from being as effective as you can be. And it will also stop you being as joyful as you can be. You've heard this many times from me, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. So wherever the kingdom is manifest, there is righteousness, there is peace, there is joy. Righteousness is our standing before God. That's a done deal. Like, it's done. We don't have to try and behave our way into it. It's a done deal. And peace and joy is the key manifestations of the kingdom. So when the kingdom manifests, the result of that will be peace and joy. Could anyone do with some more of either of those two in their life? Anyone? Yeah, my hand is up. Peace and joy is the answer to just about every core issue. So if he can keep us operating in one direction, just from us out, as in if the enemy can do that, then he'll keep us stuck. And he will keep us working hard to try and and prove ourselves to God and to do things for God, but never really experience him. And I want to suggest that the whole direction of the kingdom is heaven toward earth. It's actually him toward us. The the centerpiece of the gospel is for God so loved that he gave. That's a heaven to earth. And the centerpiece isn't the gave yet, it's the God so loved. And the direction is from him to us. And so I want to suggest that learning to experience, actually experience, not just read about, theologize about, conceptualize about his love, but actually learning to experience his love and experience your identity as the beloved, the beloved of God, I believe is an absolute core discipline of the kingdom, absolutely core. Now, I'm really curious on the idea that God birthed the church on the day of Pentecost on an experience of the Spirit that looked to everyone else like a drunken party at nine o'clock in the morning. That cracks me up a little. That, that tells me something about what God is like. He didn't, he didn't birth the church on a lovely, um, very tightly organised, tightly controlled church service with people in robes and bells and smells and a very clearly defined liturgy. Is this a shock to anyone? Or, no? Okay, it's right there, Acts chapter 2. It's in the Bible. Okay? He, he birthed the church on an experience where the result was the people around said they've had too much wine. Interesting. If that's not interesting enough, so keep in mind as I talk about these couple of things, one of the principles of interpreting Scripture is that the first time something happens or the first time something is mentioned, it sets a foundation for the rest. So the first, like the, the day that God births the church, that is the foundation on which he births the church. It's not like we suddenly become so much more mature and we move on from there. 
The kingdom isn't like that. We never move on from really anything good. It becomes a foundation on which everything else is built. And the foundational experience of the church was they're drunk, they've had too much wine. Now, the ironic thing in Scripture is that wine is a symbol or a type of the Holy Spirit. It's all through, all through Scripture, that wine is a symbol or a type of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first experience of church. Jesus' first miracle was turning about 180 gallons, that's a fair bit, of water into 180 gallons of wine. Fascinating that everyone was already absolutely plastered by the time this wedding, like in that day, weddings go for days. Um, this is not just a, you know, we've got a couple of hours, photos done, we've got a couple of hours, and then off we go. Like, this was a festival that like, went for days. And we know the story in John chapter 2 where they'd run out of wine, and Jesus hadn't done any miracles yet. And they come to Jesus and go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he's like, you know, my time's not yet come. And they keep kind of asking. And then his mother, good old Mary, she kind of knew what was going on, just said to the disciples, do whatever he tells you. So it seems like even though Jesus in that moment said his time hadn't come, the plan changed, thanks to his mother, who was a little bit persistent. Bless you all the mums in the room. Mary shifted God in that moment because Jesus was not game to disagree with his mother. Oh, whatever, I'm making this up as I go now. But So God birthed the church on this experience of you've had too much wine. You've had too much to drink. You're doing stupid stuff. Like, so when someone's had too much to drink, it's not this wonderful little liturgy. People are doing stupid stuff. Okay, I know that you know, none of us have ever been in this situation or ever even seen it, so I know this is way outside of our concept, right? But when people have had too much to drink, they do stupid stuff. They get silly. They get unfiltered. They do stupid stuff. That was what happened on day one of the church. And then Jesus' first miracle also had to do with wine. Remember, first thing set a foundation. Is this in any way an accident? I think not. See, what Jesus did was he took something that was cheap and easy. Now, it was a little bit refreshing. And I, I, there are so many different um, pieces of revelation in this miracle. But one of them is he's coming into a spiritual and religious culture where they were all about the form. There was no power whatsoever. It was all about the form. It was all about doing the right things, wearing the right things, saying the right things. And if you like water, okay, it can be a little bit refreshing and it's pretty necessary, but it doesn't change your state in any kind of way when you drink it, other than it hydrates you. It doesn't change your behaviour. Well, if you drink too much, you'll be running down the hall. You know, that, that I get, okay. <laughs> Thanks for your input, babe. <laughs> um, but... But it doesn't fundamentally change the way you think, doesn't fundamentally change your behaviour. And he took something common and he turned it into something powerful that when you partake of it, it changes your state. It changes the way that you behave. It changes the way you are in that particular environment. So he took, and I want to suggest, he took their current spirituality. And as his first miracle, he said, so your current spirituality really doesn't change much but I'm transitioning you. I'm taking water and I'm making it wine. I'm taking you from this experience of just normalness. 
into an experience of something that's both powerful and intoxicating. That when you partake of what I do, when you learn to drink of what I do, it's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you behave. You're going to drop your filters. You're going to drop your inhibitions. You're going to do some crazy stuff. So the first things he does set a foundation that things get built upon. First miracle, wine. Birth of the church, wine. Now, I'm talking about the importance of learning to experience. Let let me tell you a little bit about me and some of my history, and some of you have heard some of these stories before. Um, What's that? Oh, dear, yes, the mullet. I had a mullet before it was called a mullet. I was that far ahead of the fashion. Um, Thank you to my good friend Grant who posted that photo on Facebook. Thankfully, there was a few he left out, so (laughs) that was good. But um, So I grew up in in a very traditional environment. And I'm still, as I've said many times, I'm still deeply thankful to that because it put some foundations in me that I have still not shifted from in terms of my love of Scripture and, and the, importance of, the important role that Scripture plays and how to actually you know, rightly divide, as Paul said, to rightly divide the word of truth and all of that stuff. And I'm, I'm deeply, deeply grateful for that. When I came into the stuff of the Holy Spirit, I, I had experiences. So it was actually on your birthday in 1991, even though I didn't, quite know you that well then. October 13, 1991, it was my wife's birthday um, on Saturday, yesterday. Not at all distracted, but we're talking parties and wine, so that was, it's in some way relevant. She's 29 and a few months, right? Yeah. Um, so I first met the Holy Spirit and had this, the, the experience what we call being baptised in the Holy Spirit. I was in year 12 at school. Um, I had resisted this for a really long time. Uh, I had two friends that were chasing me down and saying, you need to get baptised in the Holy Spirit. This, it, is so, it is so, so important. And I was the um, slightly arrogant um, conservative evangelical that said, don't try and tell me there's something I haven't got. You know, I'm saved. I have everything I need, which was just pride. Um, and... Finally, God got under my skin, and this is a bit of a theme where sometimes God's had to get under my skin and kind of get under my guard when I'm, when I'm a bit off guard. And I was having a shocker one night, rang up my friend and said, can I come over and talk? And he said, yeah. And then we kind of talked through all that stuff. And he seemed remarkably uninterested and then said, so what about baptism in the Holy Spirit? And I, and I just, I didn't have the energy to defend it. I said, yeah, whatever, let's just go. And so he puts his hands on me and he starts to pray in tongues. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard at that moment in time because I'd never heard anyone do that before. And so he puts his hands on me and starts to pray in tongues. And part of me is trying not to laugh because of how funny what was coming out of his mouth sounded. And then I felt like this experience of kind of going down and coming up, which you know, baptism is kind of like that. And... I suddenly had this experience of God that I had never seen before. And it was like, like the veil between me and the spiritual realm just kind of parted. And I started to be able to see stuff in the spirit that I could never see before. And I'm like, whoa. Um, 
And then on the way home in the car, like I was just burst, like I'd, I'd had this experience of God and it was like there was this just praise wanting to burst up inside of me and I, just, I didn't have words to, to express the, the praise and worship that was building up in me because I'd always had a heart for worship. I'd always been involved in worship since I was like 14 or, or thereabouts um, and how old was I at this point? 18, 17, 18. Um, and it was just welling up inside of me. And then all of a sudden, I just started to flow out in tongues. And firstly, it's kind of like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, but then what it felt like was finally, I am not limited in my expression of praise by my own language. It was like, I now have a language which is not limited. It's not contained to the only the words that I know. And it was like this moment of freedom. Um, and I can honestly say that day, that moment changed my life forever. It actually changed the course of my life from that day forward. I would not be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that day. Now, I had this experience and started to, you know, I started to experience the prophetic in a whole different way and a number of, and then I, I was so kind of off my face with joy at this point, I couldn't help but ring all my conservative evangelical friends and go, you never guess what's happened. You've got to come on, I've got to tell you about it. And I'd pray for them and then they'd start praying in tongues and all this stuff started happening. So we we're having this mini revival all around us, all around my, um, my friends, a lot of whom we'd been through like ICF at school, which is the Christian group at school. We'd been through all of that stuff together and we knew each other from camps and stuff. And so, we were just having this kind of mini revival around this whole thing and it was like so ridiculously cool. But then, you know, over time, it's like stuff sort of waned and I never lost my heart for that, but it was almost like I had experiences of God. I mean, there was another one. I was on beach mission. Um, how many of you ever did beach mission? You know, scripture union. You, know, you, were, you spent like 40 Yes. Oh, yeah, you've been. This was a really cool thing, and I actually led my first person to Jesus on a beach mission. It was like I have so many really cool memories of that, and just that moment of actually seeing someone come from death to life right there in front of me was just such a cool thing. And this was, I think, about three months after I'd had the baptism in the Holy Spirit experience, and I'm in this Christian outreach center church in Tungkari. Now, if you know anything about Christian outreach center churches, they are wild. Like, they are out there. So I'd grown up in my good conservative evangelical traditional church, and I'd, you know, I'd experienced some good stuff, and I'd been to Hillsong, and, you know, so I'd seen some stuff, but I'd never experienced anything like this. Uh, so they are just wild. They are absolutely crazy. They were incredibly happy and also incredibly generous because some of their people came and helped us out because I was on Beach Mission at Foster, and Tunkari's the next suburb, and they used to come and help us, and I just was really impressed with just how amazing and friendly and generous these people were. I was in church this one particular Sunday morning and the, um, one of the senior, the, the wife, the, it was a husband and wife couple that pastored the church. The wife was preaching. And after she preached, she just started ministering to people. And I started watching them fall down. And I'd, I'd heard about this, but I'd never seen it before. And so I'm watching, you know, she goes up and prays for people and all of a sudden, on the floor. Hmm, that's interesting. On the floor. Hmm. On the floor. On the floor. I'm like, interesting. And as I'm sitting there watching this, and then the band starts kind of, you know, playing worship stuff while, while ministry is going on, and as I'm watching this, 
I feel this presence come upon me and I just start weeping like uncontrollably. And I'd never experienced this before. I just started crying. And then this woman who I'd never met before came up to me and spoke a prophetic word out of my, over my life that just kind of cut my heart open and I was just an absolute wreck. To the, you know, I had to leave. I didn't know that it was okay in that to be such a wreck. So I actually left the room and sat outside and she came out with me and just prayed over me and I, there was just more snot than I could handle. Um, why is, does it have to be like that? I don't know. That'll be a question I'll ask God. Get touched, it's not. And, <laughs> you know the experience this week, right? Just get touched by God, it's not. It's just everywhere. Um, I could get really stuck on that, but I need to keep moving. Um, so what happened? <laughs> Um, after the snot, as we're cleaning that up, I mean that that word like really cut to the quick, and yeah, it was a destiny word about what we, what God was going to do for do with my life, and I'd never had that experience before, and for the rest of that beach mission, I just to me at that point in time, I think God was more real to me in an experiential way than any time ever in my life. I um, it was like like I said, the veil between heaven and earth was incredibly thin, and it was just like. I know you're here. I know you're here. I know you're with me. I know you're in me. And of all of the experiences, I felt so deeply loved. I just felt so incredibly loved by the Father. And people would become people on my beach mission team would be coming up to me and going, "Your eyes, you know, your eyes," because there was just this light in my eyes. I mean, I couldn't see it because I'm on this side of them. Um, and beach mission, there's no mirrors or anything. And I, I'm like. Couldn't see it, but I kept on being told, you know, there is just this light in your eyes like I've never seen with you before. I had experiences like that, but it seemed to me like those were, they were experiences that were outside of my control. In other words, they were things that would happen to me, and I just kind of had to hope that something good might happen to me. I had no ability to kind of access those experiences um, myself. So... I had seasons where God was incredibly real and I sensed his presence, but I had no control over when that was, where that was. And I just kind of had to hope and pray that that would happen. Then come into the early, into the mid-90s and this thing called the Toronto Blessing started to pour out. And if you understand the Toronto Blessing, this was a, a move of God that really was a heart healing move. It was a move that was based around the love of the Father. But one of the core manifestations was laughing, barking like a dog, animal noises, just crazy, crazy stuff. Now, from my conservative evangelical heritage, you know, if someone even shouted amen in church, that would be like, that's so disruptive. That's, that's so irreverent. You know? And there are these people roaring like lions and barking like dogs and quacking and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And you look at this and go, these people have lost their mind, which is kind of like what happened on the day of Pentecost, interestingly enough. Uh, are we, what are we, was that a meow? No? Okay. And I'd had these experiences, so I'm watching what is happening and I'm like, I want in on that. Like, whatever that is, because I was seeing all the manifestations and thinking, yeah, that's really crazy, but I was watching people who I knew that were really in pain and really hurting come out the other side of that completely healed. And I remember listening to a guy called Guy Chevreau. I don't know, did you come across him at all? He, he was a key, like, apologist 
um, in revival, uh, particularly around Toronto. And I heard him speak out in Sutherland. And one of the things he said is we've got to take our eyes off the manifestations on the outside and look at what God's doing in the heart. And I saw so many people get their hearts healed up during that move. And I wanted in and I was like, like theologically, I'm ve- I was very experiential. Pragmatically, I had no idea how to enter into it because I was so stuck in my head, so ridiculously stuck in my head. Um, I watched a whole lot of other people enter into it. I was very impacted by the heart of it because it so resonated with what I knew to be true of God, but I struggled to enter into the experience of it. I think the following year, I went back to Beach Mission again. I was at that Christian Outreach Centre church in Tunkari, and the pastor completely threw out his notes that day and kind of <laughs> wish he hadn't. But uh, you know, he said, who wants a move of God? I'm like, yeah, I'm in for that. So there's about 25 of us standing across the front, and, he's, and I'm about 23. <laughs> okay, so he starts down this end, I'm down that end. He starts praying, kind of, you know, and doing all this. And I just watched him just going, boom, boom, boom. That was five. I'm about number 23. So everyone. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this about me. I'm relatively tall. I stand out. It's kind of hard to miss me. And from behind, I actually saw a photo of me from behind this week and thought, wow, that's got bigger. You know, like there's this, there's this, this glory that emanates <laughs> that makes it difficult to... It is the light that breaks the darkness. Yes, it is all of those things. And so I'm standing there, you know, like hands wide out. And I'm going like, God, get me. And so the pastor comes up and he's like, you know, and does this whole thing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And by at this stage, I wasn't aware of the courtesy drop, you know, concept. You know what I mean by the courtesy drop? Where nothing's happening, but just out of courtesy to the person who's praying for you, you just fall back um, because there's someone behind you that'll catch you. So I didn't know about that, so I just stayed standing. And like, nothing. Absolutely. I'm feeling beyond nothing, like as nothing as it gets. I mean, I'm not unhappy. I'm not unpeaceful. I'm not feeling traumatized. I'm just nothing. So after a couple of minutes of his whole, you know, thing that he was doing, he kind of gave up on me, went to the next person. Boom. Next person. Boom. Oh, sorry, babe. Um, <laughs> and there's me. Absolutely nothing. So that, that, is, that is me and, and experiencing the Holy Spirit. That, that was me. I had... I knew how to pray, I knew how to worship, I knew how to read my Bible, I knew how to minister to people, I knew even how to get prophetic words for people. I didn't know how to enter into that stuff. Until there was a night, um, I was at Dayspring, it was a night service, one of my good friends was speaking and he had come into an experience of a whole lot of stuff and was just sharing that. And I could, as I'm sitting there on the front row, I can feel... God just getting under my skin. And I can, I, I'm sitting there kind of going, oh, I, something's happening here. And, and it just, it just kind of kept getting under my skin. And at the end, you know, we, I think we might have done a fire tunnel, which I'd never done before at that stage either. Um, and then my friend, and it was one of the youth leaders, I think, at the time, just got around me. They started praying for me. And then they called in, like, reinforcements and called the whole... I got totally ambushed. And boom, 
I was down, like I was absolutely down, absolutely out. I am laughing hysterically, uncontrollably. Poor Deb was at home. My, I think Josh was a baby at this stage. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's kind of not your fault that you're a baby. You had little control over that, you know. Um, you were just doing what you were meant to be doing, you know. You were fulfilling your role. Um, and... I think this was somewhere between eight, half past eight, that this happened, and I'm, I'm, I'm on the ground. I am laughing absolutely hysterically. And then I try to get up, because I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm just like, this is really fun. God's really good. And I'm kind of entering into the experience. And then I try and get up. Now, I know no one else in this room, no one in this room will have had this experience ever, but I've heard about it, okay? I've heard that when people have had too much to drink in the natural, and they're sitting down, they think they're fine until they get up to walk and then they fall down. I'm told about this, never done it. Quite seriously, I've actually never done that. Um, but I've, I've heard. And this was that kind of experience where I thought, oh, you know, I'm happy, I'm feeling joy, I'm really feeling the presence of God. And then I go to get up and walk and I am like, like, it just wasn't going to happen. So I kind of thought, you know, it's easier just to stay down here because in my experience it's really hard to fall off the floor so I stay there for quite some time now I also I'm feeling like this but I know I've got to drive home at some point and surely there's laws about driving while intoxicated that was a little dangerous and so I, I had to wait till about quarter to ten last night so that night so it's hard to talk about this stuff without actually entering into the experience of it um so my brain is a little fuzzy. Good luck following. Um, and so, yeah, it was somewhere around 10 o'clock, I think I could drive home. And it was one of those experiences for Deb where the husband staggers in stone drunk um, and going, what the heck are you doing? And I woke her up and I'm like, oh, it was amazing. <laughs> kind of fell into bed and woke up the next day still feeling fairly happy. Um, and it seemed like from that moment, something shifted, something clicked that went, I think I know how to enter into this now. And it went from this thing where I, um, I had no control over. It's like God had to get under my skin for this to happen to actually, I've kind of got access to a vineyard now that I can step into whenever I want. And... It means I now have access to the love of God experientially in a way that I, I never really had before because I didn't know how to enter into it. And it was like God had to teach me how to bypass my head because I think about everything, like everything. Like I'm always studying, analysing, Googling, which is, I know annoys the heck out of my wife. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I have to Google. I must, yeah, that, that's me. I have a very active brain. And it took ages to, for God to actually get under that. But now that I had access to it, I, I, it started to change the way that I ministered, the way that I lived, the way that I would spend time with God. Because, you know, kind of leading up to there, spending time with God was, well, you've got to pray, you've got to read your Bible, and then, you know, you've got varying different formulas and principles you can use to pray, um, you know, that many of us probably learned if we grew up in traditional worlds. And you're telling them to sh not me, yeah? <laughs> Okay, sure, just checking. <laughs> um, and I remember um, 
this program, Megan used to do this called Spirit Life that I used to run. And we used to do, um, and a couple of the others on staff used to come along and we had a night where we would basically prophesy over every single person. We used to have like 40, 50 people sometimes doing this program. And so we would literally prophesy over every person in the room and minister. And so we were ministering this particular night for probably three hours solid. Like we literally prophesied over everything that moved. And at the end of that, typically you feel pretty wrecked because you're really giving out. And as, as people are starting to kind of head out of the room, um, there's this concept I've learned in kind of revival talk called the afterglow. Um, and Randy Clark talks about it. He says a lot more people get healed in the afterglow than they get healed in the main meeting. The afterglow is those who are hungry and want more just keep hanging around and they just keep ministering, they just keep worshipping, they keep soaking. And he says so much more happens often in the afterglow than what happens in the main meeting. And so I could, I could kind of... Yeah, that worked. Um, I, could, I could feel a bit of an afterglow in the air. It's like, hmm, something's on. And um, so there was a, a few people left around and some people that were used to this and some people that really weren't. They weren't used to this at all. And so we started praying for each other in some really crazy ways. We... Um, we, you know, if someone's heart is stopped, you get the paddles and kind of go kaboom, like this and with the electricity thing and they get jolted and their heart starts again in the natural we're talking. So we felt like we had these in the spirit and, you know, we can all do with a really awake heart, right? And so we're getting each other and going like this on, on the chest like that. But the Spirit is actually doing something with this and people are getting hit with the power of God as we're doing this. So for probably another hour or so, we start just praying for each other in these absolutely crazy ways, doing you know, what my dad used to call the packer-whackers, you know, the, the jump-starting each other in the Spirit. And we are just so absolutely whacked that, again, we had to wait for quite some time to settle down before we could drive home. Now, typically after, there is a reason I'm telling you this story other than just for me to look stupid, um, is I remember being in the office with my friend the next day, um, the next morning, and usually after you've ministered and prophesied for three hours solid, the next day you have a ministry hangover. What I call it. In other words, you just feel wrecked, you can't think straight, you're tired, you just feel like you've got nothing left to give, you hope your phone doesn't ring, you hope no one drops in. After that night of drinking, I felt so refreshed. I felt like I'd had a day off the day before. Like I just felt so like I was ready to go. I like bring on whatever is coming. I am just feeling refreshed and alive. I hadn't experienced it like that before. But it became this thing where I was now able to actually enter into it. Now, this concept of drinking, if you like. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says, We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. In other words, the spirit isn't something that we just interact with. It's, he, he's something that we drink. Now, the root word of that word drink is the word, I hope I don't get this wrong, pizzo. P-I-T-D-Z-O, something like that. I'm, I'm getting that only half right, but it's like pizzo. 
And the concept is like when the ground is dry, like the, the physical land is thirsty and it drinks in, like it rains, it drinks in the water to the point where it gets muddy and soggy. You get the idea. <laughs> that, in other words, we're all meant to get really pizzo. Really soggy, really like muddy, mushy, because we're drinking, the, we're drinking the presence of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In other words, the direction isn't this way out. The direction is this way in. In other words, I'm learning to receive. Ephesians 3, 18 to 20. Now, I'm going to read this out of a version that is by a guy called Kenneth Woost, W-U-E-S-T. And what he did was basically he takes the Greek with his understanding of Greek tenses and he pretty much just writes it as it is. His goal is not readability. His goal is just pure accuracy to reflect what is being said in the original language. Because English, like Greek has words that we don't have. So they have a way of expressing things that we don't have words for, which is deeply frustrating sometimes. So Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, in Wu's translation, this is where Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. I pray that you would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. Then he says, in order that you may be able to grasp with all of the saints what is the breadth, the width, the height and depth that we would then read, that is the love of God that surpasses knowledge. The way that he says it is, um, and to explain, and to know experientially the love of the Christ, which surpasses experiential knowledge, in order that you may be filled up to the full measure of the fullness of God. So in other words, and this is what we call an apostolic prayer of Paul's over the Ephesian church. And he's essentially saying, I pray that you will have an experience of the love of God. That you will not just know it in your head. They they don't have in the same way a word for, for head tripping like we do. When we think no, we think I know the concept. When they think no, well actually, biblically the word no is the same concept as having sexual intercourse with a person. It's like that you may know them. It's, it's that it's a deep, intimate experience. That's the idea that you might know experientially the love of God. Now, the Passion Translation, which I love, Brian Simmons' version, he says, then as your spiritual strength increases you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement, beyond academic knowledge. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Anyone up for that? See, I knew these verses inside out in my younger years, but I never had the experience of it. And what I believe he is wanting us to learn, whether you have never had any kind of experience of him before or whether you experience him all the time, either way, he's wanting to take us and you deeper into the experiential knowledge of his love. Now, I'm mixing the, the metaphor of his love and his wine because I'm seeing in Scripture that the concept of first love, you know, we, we see it um, when, 
when Jesus is talking to the Ephesian church in Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2, where he says, I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Return to what you did at first. In other words, we're not meant to lose our first love. Now, how many of you in the room, you guys don't have to be honest, okay? How many of you have ever been in love? Anyone? Anyone? Ever? Anytime? Ever even had a bit of a crush on someone? Thought someone was a little bit cutesy? Okay, we've got, a, we've got a movement of hand. Okay. Now, of those of you who have had that experience, how many of you have actually had that reciprocated and you actually start dating and the first time, like, you've got butterflies in your stomach and you're like, you know, and, and you do, like, really crazy, stupid things when you're in love? Or is this just me? You're looking at me funny. I'm just starting to feel really alone and exposed right now. <laughs> Are you at least willing to acknowledge that that happened? And First love as an experience is incredibly intoxicating. It, it, it takes you over. It makes you stupid. Okay? It makes you unable to string sentences together coherently. Which if you're the guy and the girl's watching it, it's just too funny. That, that is the nature of first love. And again, Jesus birthed the church on an experience of intoxication. He says to the Ephesian church, you've lost that, that, that intoxicating love experience. You've lost it. Return to that. In other words, you never mature beyond first love. We're not meant to do that. And John says, we love because he first loved us. In other words, this is not, I have to stir this up, I have to stir this up, I have to be more loving, I have to love more, I have to love more. That's the religious motif. We love because he first loved us. The answer to first love is to get beyond our head and actually learn to experience his love experientially, personally, and the only thing that can come out of that is to love him. It's just impossible to do anything else because it's so darn good. So let me wrap this up. Song of Songs, chapter 2. There is, there is a passage in there that you may know, not know that it actually comes from the book of Song of Songs, but if you, have any of you ever sung any kind of worship song that says, he brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me is love? Okay, that comes from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4. And that there's a couple of different versions of those songs, and they're all really cool. I like them a lot. And we know that, okay, the book of Song of Songs is, you know, it's what I call the sealed section of the Scriptures. Um, you know, it's pretty, like, if you actually understand some of the nuances of original language, it's pretty full on. Like, this is not necessarily something you give to your teenagers to read before bed. It's not, not going to help them at all. Um, if they understand what it's saying. In English, it's easy to kind of skip through and go, I have no idea what that's saying with all the poetic language and, you know, your breasts are like gazelles and all that. I'm like, what? How did that? Anyway. <laughs> um, so where it says, he brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. So in the actual story of that, that is the Shulamite woman um, experiencing the bridegroom who has pursued her and brings this girl who... This Shulamite woman, if you see Song of Songs chapter 1, it opens with this 
um, this passage that says, dark I am, yet lovely. Now, in our culture, we love brown skin. Like, we love having a tan. And I completely failed that particular course um, in genetics somewhere. I just completely missed it on that because I am not quite albino, but I'm in that direction. In, in that culture, having tanned skin as a woman was actually not a desirable thing. They wanted to be like pure and white. That was that culture. This Shulamite woman was a woman who was essentially poor and worked out in the fields. And because she worked out in the open fields, she had very tanned skin, which in that culture meant she was ugly, essentially. Getting the idea? And so part of the story of Song of Songs is this, this bridegroom that pursues someone that in that culture wasn't pursuable. Like it, it was this unmerited love of pursuit that is being spoken of in that book. And then it talks about this invitation that this, that this woman who is actually a type of the bride of Christ, it's a type of the church, where it says, he brought me into his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. Now, that word banqueting table literally means house of wine. In the in literal Hebrew language, it's been translated as banqueting table. What it literally means in Hebrew is house of wine. So if we look at this in, in the Passion Translation again, Song of Songs chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, it says, Suddenly he transported me into his house of wine. He looked upon me with his unrelenting love divine. Revive me with your goblet of wine. Refresh me again with your sweet promises. Help me and hold me, for I am lovesick. Ooh. I'm longing for more, yet how could I take more? His left hand cradles my head while his right hand holds me close. I am at rest in this love. This, this is the picture of the bride of Christ. This is, this is the picture of us in the presence of our bridegroom and drinking of this goblet of wine which is unrelenting love divine. The church was birthed on this experience. Jesus' first miracle was around wine. The picture of the bride, of the, of the bride of Christ in Scripture. In this particular instance is about being brought into the house of wine and drinking and the link between that and intoxicating love. Where are we going? Over the next few weeks in particular, but I want to start as we pray now, is we need to learn how to receive from God. We need to learn how to drink of the wine of the Spirit. And when we do, when we, when we get out of our cerebral practice of Christianity that we are so practiced at in the Western church and learn to experientially, not just conceptually, but learn to experientially drink, drink, drink deep. All of a sudden we find insecurity starts to drop away. Fear starts to drop away. You know, they don't let 
drunk people drive for good reason. A, they have very little control, which is what the religious spirit is all about, incidentally, is control. And they have no fear. And so you do stupid stuff because you have no fear. Don't we need a little more of that in the kingdom? Don't we need a little bit more uninhibited, unrestricted craziness? Because the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. So I'm going to pray for us. And if you're, you're in that space like I had been for a huge part of my life, even in ministry in a spirit-filled environment where I'm stuck in my head, Firstly, I want to pray for you, but then over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to unpack in a really pragmatic way how we can make that transition, how we can get out of our head and get into that experience mode. And you're going to hear from a number of people in our community that have made that transition and how that happened for them and what the difference that has made. But right now, I just want us to, to open our hearts and let's let some wine flow. So let's stand together, shall we? So let me get really pragmatic for a moment. Firstly, let's just put out our hands because that's, that's, it's a symbol of surrender. And one of the things, and we, we talked about it, in the message I did on present your bodies is that part of worship and part of interacting with God is our physical bodies actually reflecting the position of our heart. That's an important thing to do. We don't wave our hands just because we like the song. We wave our hands because we're raising a man. We're doing something physically that represents the condition of our heart. So as we put it in our hands, we're doing it because we're actually receiving something from him. Now, if you're one who, likes, who just has a tendency to think about what's going on, what's happening, I want you to just start to focus on what you're feeling in your body. Rather than focusing on what you're thinking, just start to focus, whether it's focus on what am I feeling in my arms. In other words, we're just starting to focus on experience right now rather than thoughts. And in particular, just pay attention to your hands as your hands are out. Just pay attention to your hands as I pray for you. Father, I ask right now, your word says that the kingdom is hidden in the hands. And I ask right now that you would touch people's hands right now. God, that your presence would rest upon their hands. That there would be whether it's peace, whether it's heat, whether it's tingling, whether it's, it, it's a weightiness that you start to feel. Because the word for the glory of God is the word kabod, and it means the weightiness of God. So sometimes when he is upon you, it feels heavy. It feels like there's this, you, you are actually carrying a weightiness. For some, you might feel heat. For some, you might feel tingles. Others, you might feel like air, like we, like air blowing over your hands 
Because the, spirit, the word for spirit and the word for wind or breath is the same word, pneuma. Some people feel fire. Whew. Because that's another metaphor or type of the Holy Spirit. So God, just increase your tangible, manifest presence on us right now. Increase. Increase. God, we just bind right now every religious spirit that would seek to keep us in a place of human control rather than a place of Holy Spirit control. We break every alignment and agreement with that. We break any agreement with the notion that the Christian life is just a cognitive mental head trip. That it's just about truth and not about actually experiencing life. Truth is real, but truth is meant to be experienced. Just increase right now. Increase. There were some mystics in the old days that actually discovered this place in the spirit called the wine room of heaven. And the testimonies from it I wish I had brought a couple of them along, but the testimonies from it are pretty crazy. These mystics, and these are people that are, that are digging deep into to the experiential side of God and wanting to experience more and more, and they discovered this place in the spirit that was called the wine room of heaven that they believed was what was spoken of in Song of Songs chapter 2, that he brought me into the house of wine, and they described this feeling of being absolutely intoxicated with his love. And God, we want to say as, as a community and as a family at I-61, we give you permission to open up, if you like, the cellar door of heaven and pour out your wine. Pour out your wine. Pour out your wine. Ooh. One of the things that helped me begin to experience God was instead of waiting to fall down on the floor, I just started there. <laughs> Partly because it's hard to fall off the floor, as I said, but, uh, but just starting in that place of complete surrender. And, and the metaphor of the river has always been a really significant one for me for, for so many years. And so often as I just lie there, it's like I feel the river of God just flowing over me, flowing around me and... And it takes me into this place of experiencing him. You'll find your own vineyards. But I'm, I'm giving testimonies, both to open up doors in the spirit, because that's what testimonies do, but also to give you ideas of what it can be like. So God, just increase. More of your presence. More of your presence. And over the coming weeks, I feel like he's going to open up new experiences to us. We've had, we've had moments and times in here where, where it's been pretty ridiculous and pretty crazy because people are drunk in the spirit. 
But I want you to understand that, that has an absolute biblical foundation. That's not just some crazy thing that a bunch of immature wackos dreamed up. It actually is thoroughly the substance of what the father does when he interacts with his bride. It's what the bridegroom does when he interacts with his bride. So touches deep, touches deep, touches deep. Pull us out of our heads. So that we can, as Paul said, know experientially the love of Jesus that is beyond experience. So what we're going to do to stay in that zone, we're going to kind of close officially and formally. We have some carpet out here that is a lot softer than a wooden floor that if you're, you're already just experiencing him, just come plonk on the floor, come lie down, whatever you need to do, kneel down or even stand or stay where you are, whatever it is for you because we don't want to pull you out. And we'll just put on some kind of soaky sort of music and just give some time to minister. Now, and if you're finding yourself really just stuck in your head and you would like someone to pray for you, come out here too and we'll just be hanging around and doing some drinking and doing some praying. God, I ask for every single one of us that you would upgrade our joy in this season because your kingdom is righteousness peace and joy and there's nothing more offensive to the religious spirit than joy (laughs) nothing more offensive to the religious spirit than unbridled joy and that is the kingdom is unbridled joy in fact Peter says joy inexpressible and full of glory inexpressible so upgrade increase Take us into a realm of experience that we've never known before, that this wouldn't be just a thing of our head and a thing of discipline, that this would be a thing of heart and of life and of power, that we'd be intoxicated with first love all over again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just take the time. You know, if, you're, if you're done and you're through, that's okay. Feel free, to go. feel free to go. We're formally done. But let's just be respectful of people that are still receiving, that are still getting prayer, that are encountering God. Bless you. So if you're wanting prayer, come on down. If you're wanting to just lie somewhere that's not as hard, there is carpet. Please feel free to do that. <laughs>